I love this this job and I love the responsibility that it gives and I love the challenge of using technologies um however basic or advanced um you know they may be as long as they get the job done and they improve my writer's outcomes it'll be in the studio Training Edge Podcast, and I'm your host, Isaiah Newkirk. For this episode, I changed things up just a tad, and I'm focusing on how technology can have an impact in sport. Today, with my guest, Ivan O'Gorman, we chat about the use of technology in bike fitting. We get into how bike fitting has evolved, when these pieces of equipment are useful, where the industry is going, and even a little bit of how some technologies in the wrong hands can be valueless. Ivan runs IOG, a fit studio here in Niwak, Colorado, I see some pretty top-notch talent. As you will find out, Ivan is a passionate guy on the bike fitting front, and he even challenges me a bit by flipping a question or two around on me. This is for sure more of a techie podcast than I've done so far, so be ready on that front. But without any further delay, enjoy my conversation with Ivan. Hey, Ivan, thanks for joining me and uh, for a little bit of time to chat about the world of bike fitting. Super, glad to be here. When you first started fitting, what were the tools that you were using? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I got the jump start. Um, I was very fortunate early on in my career to, to start working with Retool, who were essentially pioneering what I call affordable, um, high quality motion capture to, to the bike industry. And uh, prior to what Retool started in kind of 2008 and kind of broke through in 2010 with, with a technology that got well endorsed and well used, um, uh, prior to that, it was probably reserved to um, university-style settings, uh, research centres, and maybe some high-level, um, you know, performance centres. But generally, a high-level performance centre didn't last on its own. It had to have rehabilitation. So there tend, tended to be not a lot of those um, in that space. So, yeah, Retool broke the, the mould on that. I was very fortunate to be in early um uh, after they had launched and I it was a really steep learning curve for me in both um, bike fitting and also in using um, technology that at, the, at that time and, and largely to this point today is still very much like leading leading the way on that so that's kind of where I started um, which is kind of like I know this conversation can go down the path of tech and people nerd out on that but we would have applied this you know, very basic principles that were very sound, they had good, what I call clinical rationale, and they worked. And then we would track a lot of the changes that we, we would make with the data. And in turn, as we understood more about the data, we were able to then use that data to drive decisions. So it's not like, you know, once you started capturing joint angles and, and offset values that you clearly knew what to do with it, it just meant that now you were quantifying changes. So we would have used um, again, knee over pedal, pedal. When that was first measured, it was measured with a plumb bob, which means they put a little weight on a string, they drop it from the front of the patella down to the crank arm or the pedal for a reference. And now here we were at, you know, 20, uh, let's say anything up to 100 hertz, we were able to sample like what was going on in relation to the, where the knee was in relation to that pad, pedal. Uh, and dynamically, so meaning under load. So 
you know, the evolution from static bike fit where you'd say to the rider, okay, stop there and I'll take out a goniometer and measure your knee angle, um, to you just sit there 250 and we'll record what, what happens. So it was really um, a lot. A lot of transitions happened probably in the kind of mid two um, thousands and into the kind of twenty tens. Cool. Do you still go back and use plum um, yeah, bobs absolutely. as well? I joke with some of the students that we teach on bike fitting education on how important it is to understand, you know, um, to be able to a recognize visually what's going on with the rider, b to be able to use some, you know, basic tools that sometimes can be very important empowering for athletes to see exactly what's going on and it can be very simple to digest um and i also tell them what are you going to do if the electricity goes out what are you going to do if you're you know if you if you need to make a, a kind of a somewhat of a fly decision um at a race scenario or 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 whatever you know in a week away or something like that so i just kind of keep them on their toes on that um but for sure like i we can as a coach you know and your listeners will know we can drown people in data but if you show me something very simple and particularly depending on how people respond to kind of learning uh, sometimes you can show them something very simple like where that plumb bob falls in relation to the crank and they can have a, an aha moment whereas you can show them um you know multiple different data sets of varying complexities and it honestly just kind of confuses them more than, than helps them yeah so to step back and um, talk about retool um, just as a uh, means of defining the tool what what is retool what is uh if you had to define that system what is it yeah so what they do is uh, a couple a couple of things and i think they're of equal value to be fair one is is um you can document the rider's position so that means you're putting eight um landmarks on there you're identifying eight landmarks and then you're putting active leds and these leds are emitting infrared light the camera system captures it it sees x y and and z planes so we're looking at depth um as well and that way then you can really get an outline of the rider um obviously there's there's a lot of data that you can capture and if i said you could look at 50 elements or data points um you know you're probably consistently using anywhere from 10 to 15 on, on an average fit and uh, in some complex aspects you can do a deep dive and you could look at different um, kind of references that you mightn't always so like certain hip to wrist values or or any kind of combination that you're trying to hone in on they tend to be with um, riders that have uh, asymmetries and are symptomatic and you're really trying to find a solution for them but i would say largely if you can track riders with um you know up to 10 data points where you're looking at a sagittal view which is the side view like we observe everybody when we're um sap sipping our macchiatos outside a coffee shop and, <laughs> and another rider rides by and we're all like oh, satellite look low or you know or, oh i like that bike or oh look at these cadence and then it's the head-on view or the view from behind or you can look at more like frontal plane um aspects so that's where people talk about you know knee alignment uh, uh relationship of uh, hip to knee and foot and always uh, and also from behind you look at riders and sometimes riders rotate that's kind of called a transverse plane movement um and other aspects really uh, the retail system can allow you to look at all these uh, combined or or um, individually so that's kind of what it does in relation to the rider and then when you make changes um you can document that using a somewhat of a wand because it's kind of easy, easy to visualize or a little digitizer um kind of in the form of a somewhat of a pencil where you can basically trace in all the contact points that is suspending the rider 
we'll say in air. So you're looking at in reference to the bottom bracket, which is kind of center of the universe. Uh, you're looking at like saddle setback, um, um, saddle height, saddle angle, uh, you know, grip and, and handlebar kind of reach and drop values. Um, obviously you're taking into consideration all the smaller items component-wise, crank length, uh, spacer stems, um, and, and so on. So uh, I think why I mentioned that that one little item and that one tool was half the value of the retool system, people might might kind of be surprised by that. But to me, even when you get good data, you make changes that are, again, they have a sound premise and, and the athlete might support it. Um, it's still a trial. So like you come to me to know what, and we, we go through an entire process, you're still leaving on what I would say is like a very controlled quality trial and then we get that feedback and the impacts of those positional changes so being able to document well what was the actual satellite um, setback change or what was you know the increased amount of drop or the length and reach that we added like we want to document that because of two reasons on the outcome one if the outcome is is really good we might want to be building upon it or we certainly want to know what it is that makes a good position for our rider. Our second of all, if it's, if the rider comes back and says, actually, I think that was worse, um, we need to know like, and quantify, well, how much did we make the change and what direction did we go and, and why did it not work? So in order to either um, layer a position, which is, is obviously a very kind of positive process, or to deconstruct a position that didn't work, it's very important to know where, where those fit coordinates are. So to me, that's why I give a single tool that it has within its kind of quiver, uh, so much value is by being able to document the position. And, and your listeners can understand they've heard stories about people who are super protective about their setup and why it needs to be a certain way. And they've probably learned that the hard way. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of people that don't are not protective of their position, it's largely because they've been lucky, they've been getting away with it, they've been riding without issues, and they're largely happy. But for people that have come through tougher times, they're a lot more informed and uh, have maybe a higher level of appreciation for the setup. I like that. So it's like a documentation within this motion caching system for you to define how their fit has changed. And either it could be, you know, could be for the good, it could be for the worse. It's, and it's a continuing dynamic. So do you believe that athletes need to regularly be fitted so that it's a continuous uh, flow and adjustment or is it kind of like a one thing? Yeah, I'll interject here now with something your listeners don't expect. Anybody with a commercial head expects to say, oh, regularly I want to see riders in and bang, 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 we hit the cash register and call it good. But I would say, no, like from a from a fitting standpoint, it's like, what is the goal, you know, and what has, what has changed? What has changed that this rider needs fit work? You know, and it generally doesn't start with a change. It generally starts with something that a rider wants to improve. And then the changes come and then you kind of take it through a, somewhat of a, a fit roadmap. You know, it's a bit of an evolution. But largely, if the rider, let's say I worked with the rider on, on two to three sessions, which is kind of all inclusive in kind of how we approach um, the management of our riders, how we kind of care for our riders, then like you get them to a point where obviously they're very, very happy with the outcome. We've explored what are, are kind of a reasonable avenues and, and we've done our due diligence. Like if the rider then, the rider could go three seasons without needing anything, you know, but again, how sensitive are they if they want to change shoes and cleats or what if they want to change a pedal system or what if a saddle begin like that has worked for two seasons now 
because of some other factor doesn't and you know so then unfortunately when they come across those little roadblocks they need to kind of get around them without either causing injury or having some like sustained period of time where they're riding um you know uncomfortably or they're not entirely happy so i hope that kind of explains that like if your position is dialed you can largely ride it for season upon season yeah. but when you change equipment or when you change or, or or stuff like that you just need to be able to manage it and some riders do a great job in that and other riders prefer to pass that responsibility on to us so what we've tried to do is in a don't gouge your customers approach they pay like well, what i would say is pretty premium rates for a fit service that gets them to a really like happy place to where they're very you know very like confident with what they've learned and what we've done with them and they they really see that value and then if they need like small little layering adjustments after that we go to kind of more like an a la carte per time or Hmm. and 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 we kind of go that way because fundamentally we want to retain these clients and we want to kind of look after their fit needs Hmm. so uh that's kind of how we approach it but um you know there's there's um some of the holes, the biggest holes in fitting have been created due to it's it's not always commercially sound to take that approach. And you need to be able to have a strong referral network and you need to have a strong um high, uh, strong outcomes to where your riders are really happy with your with your kind of um service to again get that referral um kind of circle going so um, some places i know obviously will look at fit and say look let's try and get them in and out with 90 minutes associated to it or allocated to it and look if we don't have a problem bob's your uncle and if we do have a problem we'll we'll address it but that's very much like a kind of a fire in the hole <laughs> approach and just hope that yeah. nothing goes wrong so um yes yeah, well, so that'll give you an idea of how we approach it yeah, I like that. It's like a relationship rather than uh, constrained by yeah predetermined measure. Yeah, that's good. It's what the athlete probably needs. So stepping back, what do you – all right, let's say somebody walks into your door. How do you start a fit then? I know that within your website you have a couple of things pre-listed, kind of like a pre-fit assessment and other stuff like that. So what is your standard protocol when you approach somebody new that you're giving the full marker to, like the, the full package? yeah. I'd say we're busting, we're busting out the rocket espresso anyway to kick things off. <laughs> That's a good start. No, it's like our place is very much like we have a, a a nice studio that people like enjoy to come to, and we like we have a table. We sit down. We're like, what are we at? You know, what are we up to here today? There's no there's no approach like where we're the experts. We know what's going on, and you're going to do what you're told. You know, it's a case of like no, like like what we need to know is as much about you as, as is helpful, as pertinent. Like, I'm not going to solve your problems with your wife or your husband, but <laughs> I, I need to know, like, what's going on with your bike in history? What what kind of things have you tried? Um, what fits have you had or you haven't? What what has worked? What hasn't? It's like just trying to do as broad an analysis of what has brought that rider to your door. And then, like, then start, like, looking at, okay, so what's what's the kind of objective? What are we trying here? And, and someone will say, oh, it's an event. And someone will say, oh, I just want to be comfortable. And someone will say, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. And someone will say, whatever. And and they're all equal in our eyes. And, and we'll just get to that. So we need to kind of know where they're come from, where they're going, and, and, and take it on like any project, like it's a building project, you know. And um, if we're going to be both the, like, say, the architect and, and the, the 
the general contractor, you know, we, we need to kind of know as much as we can about um, what we're getting ourselves into. So, like, you know, um, that's kind of globally what I'm trying to do. Um, like, how it plays out is the first session is generally under uh, a couple of hours and then there's a follow-up uh, built in to where we expect to see them back. Um, and I'll discuss that. But the first session is like establishing a baseline, seeing what's going on, uh, looking at elements of like pre-fit assessment. So the rider off the bike uh, compared to the rider on the bike, um, suitability of their equipment, uh, where that equipment is in relation to like the position that they're currently riding. So what we're saying there is like the equipment largely has a big impact on where riders either interact on the bike, sit on it, where they sit on a given saddle, where they put their hands and so forth. Um, and then that um, will have a big impact into like, let's say their biomechanical setup. So where are they positioned over the crank lever? So if you just want to think like that, the crank lever is what's going to generate the power. Where are we putting the rider over that? You know, we have a series of levers in the rider we've got foot shin femur you know coming from the biggest muscles on the rider's body and where are you going to put them and and so that's kind of like like the biomechanical suitability uh, blended with kind of like the flexibility and the, the rider's attributes mm. and um and then you know does the equipment either inhibit or or allow you to do what you're trying to do and uh, how can you optimize the kind of interaction of rider and equipment and then fundamentally and this becomes some of the hardest things for fitters and it's where where the msu element of bike fit comes in meaning make shit up <laughs> and where where bike fitters kind of might at times get to a point where they don't know what to do and whether that's a lack of data or a lack of experience or you know um a lack of kind of interest because like there's lots of bike fits that people just kind of go through the motion and they're mm. texting and they're doing other things and they can be genuinely distracted too like what if it's in a store and the store and the bike fitter is also the store manager he's got 20 things going on in his head and he's trying yeah. to do his bike fit and there's all sorts of fires going off so i just mean that there can be a time in, in the bike fit process where decisions are very important and sometimes it doesn't clarity is not like you know the overwhelming factor so um what I wanted to kind of get to there was obviously you're trying to blend all this stuff, but you need to make a decision. What are you doing today? What's that going to affect? What are you likely going to do in two weeks time? Or what would be the next plan of attack on the next um, session when you see this rider? <clears throat> what do you expect their feedback might be? How do you manage for the good and the bad? And um, and I suppose the role of, of technology is in, in, in just making some of that a little less murky. A little, little BS, a little less MSU, and um, and more more defined, and then the follow up is like the follow up is probably the ace card, like for sure. Um, we do maybe some good work in the first session and we gather a lot of data, but when the writer takes on some changes and is well informed as to what we're trying to achieve, they come back with a totally different lens of like feedback. You know, they're able to like speak to it better. They, they've digested a lot of what you've said that they may not have understood the first session, but now that they've started to implement it into their writing, they kind of, again, begin to have a couple of breakthrough moments and they come back and say, I understand now why you wanted to kind of consider moving that saddle again a second time based on kind of the response that I've got and here's the response I've got and it's been very good and 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 what do all athletes do you know it yourself 
they get greedy then they want more yeah. and i think that the, the skill of the fitter and the experience is to, to know kind of better and to just manage that and uh, to kind of manage manage that with the rider's best intentions in mind so um yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the value of the follow-up is because the rider, if you've done a great job on educating them, on making things clear, on, on informing them of, of kind of what their ride baseline is and, and, and what's going on, then they can really absorb that like sponges and they can come back to you with a way better sense of feedback. And that's very powerful for then the bike fitter to get that extra little bit to kind of um, have confidence maybe in the next change that they were anticipating to making and so on. So mm. it's probably fair to say that there is quite an overlap with bike fit and, and coaching, you know, to an extent. Yeah. You really got to manage that rider. And if you try and do it on a one and done, it might be good for the cash register or the ROI, but generally the outcomes are going to be short-lived, I'd say. Yeah, so within the dynamic of a coach and a fitter, um when you let's say you you do a fight a bit on a rider you release him out the door um what would you recommend as far as like uh lead time for that rider to then kind of settle into the fit and um yeah what what would you recommend sure um i'm sipping tea here now in the background to keep my irish roots dry (laughs) no worries yeah if we're not drinking coffee we're drinking tea um (laughs) again let me You'll find, by the way, I describe stuff. It's not purely about IOG. Like I'm trying to be informative about bike fit and also just give people an idea in relation to what they might encounter and kind of help them as they're looking for a good fitter and working with somebody. Um, as you you kind of mentioned the bridge with the coach, and then you kind of went on to uh, like adaption period and mm-hmm. stuff. I'll yep. firstly say like a lot of fitters tend to be kind of closed book, which I feel is probably just they feel a little threatened and, mm-hmm. and they don't want to collaborate and, and that can be a really blind spot. Um, you want to engage like coaches and, and physical therapists and strength and conditioning coaches and, and even uh, shrinks if if needs be. Um, to be if you're genuinely invested in the outcome of the the rider, you, you, you can close your door and say, Well, this is how I'm doing it from a bike fit and your coach can adjust around it. You, you know where that's going to end. Yep. So we're very like collaborative in that regard. And, and honestly, the more information we share, the more we get back about the rider. And a, a, a conversation with a coach about that rider can be hugely informative because the coach knows like you know, very much in detail what's going on with that rider. Mm-hmm. It can be great. And um, it just comes down to, I suppose, a bit of people, people management. You need to be able to like manage the situation if, if you have... I know I've had it in the past and it can be it can be hair raising where you have like a director sportif of a pro team you've got the team doctor you've got the team physio and you've got the coach and the rider and maybe the bike manufacturer and your boss all in the one room and like you're in there in that hotbed trying to make a decision and manage all these people that have got great information but how do you manage that so a little off off um tangent but just try and find people that are collaborative and are willing to have a quick word with your coach or have a have a get the background from your PT or whatever because that kind of information is, is very, very important to arriving at the best outcomes that are suitable for your rider. So that's that. The adaptability thing is very much individual, isn't it? Because you've got snowflakes and you've got friggin' 
you know, flying stills, like in riders. Like the snowflakes are very delicate, like they're they probably have good sense of feel, like a few millimeters here and a few millimeters there, and there's hamstring strains and there's like aches in the neck and they can feel twinges in their patella. And then you've got Clyde Sales who could ride their teammates' bike and still not have any kind of concern with it. So I'll give a little nod to Phil Burt in the UK who was head of medicine at, at British Cycling and he would say like there's macro absorbers and there's micro adjusters. Yep. So like we know those riders, don't we? There's people that are like five five K into the ride and they're like, here, pull over, I just want to adjust my saddle and someone yep. else is going, here I want to twist this clean or uh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And then there's other people and, and it's like you mightn't have seen them for three weeks and you'd say, Did your did your satellite slip since the last time you rode? Uh I don't know. Why? Does it look low? Um, yeah, maybe. Let's have a little peek at that. I know I personally had that with an athlete who was like riding approximately 33 millimetres lower than they've been set up. And this uh. athlete performs at the highest level. And um, But, you know, is a bit of a bruiser. Doesn't doesn't have that sense of feel. So, um, so that will give you a kind of a quick spectrum on like the type of athletes you um can deal with and then you know in turn where this is going like the snowflakes need to be very careful with intensity and the the, the change that you just you make and the kind of absorbers you can be obviously a bit more brave with those and make some larger changes but again that comes down to experience it comes down to good communication with the athlete and setting expectations for them so they know what their homework is like um I guess a blind spot that fitters might feel is that they need to have, you know, to make significant changes at that bike fit for it to feel like it was effective. Yeah. But I might, I might try to enlighten an athlete on, on what we're trying to achieve and then give them the background on it and support it with the data. And I'd say, we're going to do this in very small increments over the next probably six weeks. And your A race isn't until July. And we've got, a real nice six weeks now to just build you into it it'll be in keeping with where maybe your training and intensity is and because you've already started a little bit of boom boom in your work i don't want to like just throw your july position at you now and let's like why the why the panic let's just get you there and you'll be learning uh the sense of feel as you get there and um and so there's just but again that means homework not alone for the rider it means homework for me because i've got to manage it so if i if i am trying to like get out of this fit without any kind of um contingency like where i have to like babysit the rider for the next six weeks i'm better off saying like here let's just bump it up now and then cross my fingers but again it's a fire in the whole approach so i i welcome athletes like to to whatsapp me and just give me little updates and let me know what's going on because i'm able to manage that a lot easier than than you know sending them off in their merry way but then having to really like um sort out an issue down the line hmm. so just different approaches by fitters um and and um ours is is, is ours is our own i guess and um and we're just careful depending on the athletes um I suppose scope of, of absorption, what they can take on, um, and and that's that's why the first session is important because we're trying to understand as much as we can about them. And you know, what if that athlete at the very start said, you know, I've been riding this saddle 15 mils higher about six months ago, and uh, and here's what I noticed with it. Is that a valuable piece of information for a bike fitter? Absolutely. You know, and all we have to do is ask. Um, so all information is about trying to get a better understanding of your athlete hmm. yeah i like that i mean it's i really honestly wish that more 
um, fitters would communicate, be able to, or would be willing to communicate with coaches. Cause I think that that does aid within like, all right, this is a good period to give the athlete a little bit of leeway and adaptation time and work with it. And it's just not something that's hugely present yet in our sport, but I, I do hope that, you know, people like you help push that, um, along that would make a big yeah, difference. I suppose, like, like one quick thing for your listeners to kind of think about and, and where has you asked me, where has it evolved from? Where did bike fitting start? It started like probably in a physio's room or in a, a coach's room. Where did it evolve to shops? Why did it evolve there? Because it was a good tool to sell bikes. It was a yeah. good tool to sell anything, cranks, mm. water bottles, anything. Just use data as a way to sell shit. But, but then, so how many independent bike fitters are out there? Not a lot. So I suppose what happens is it got muddled in with the retail model. Like, you know, um, the fit is 150 bucks, but it's free if you buy a bike off us. And like, so there wasn't people like vested in the actual outcomes of the riders. Or maybe, like, I'm not having a pop at shops. I'm just saying like, it didn't, like, it doesn't fit perfectly in the model of retail when, when there's conflicts on sizes and what's on the floor. And it also is unfair on the people in retail who also have lots of other jobs. They've got either sales targets or they've got something else. or they've And they're in there trying to do a kind of a brand agnostic or a, a neutral fit. It's just really the environment doesn't support it. So I think what has happened and again you take that person who's working in a shop who's got four other hats to wear and they they but they're interested in fitting and they're they're putting their time into it but their boss is not going to say congratulations for putting all this extra time into isaiah you know what i mean and like at the same time all this time you've put in hasn't driven any kind of dollars mm-hmm. you know and they're like you know what open keeps the door open here don't you and so that's where bike fit has come from so as you see um, bike fit evolving to where you get more independent studios, you'll see fitters just taking a far higher level of care and a far more proactive approach to how they manage their athletes, you know. Hmm. So that's just part of the evolution, you know, because um, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I mean, it's progressive and I, I like where it's trending at least. Um, so diving into technology, um, so you use a pretty wide array of devices within your shop. Um, and you know, feel free to throw some in there that I'm, I'm leaving out, but I would like to start with Leomo, which is, um, a relatively new company, um, that's been kind of, uh, starting to pick up. Um, yeah. What is Leomo and what's your experience and, um, what, how can it be used? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the, I'm going to turn the hunted into the hunter. Hmm. And I'm going to say, well, what's, why do you ask me about Leomo? Where, how does it come on your radar? And what is it that's grabbing your attention? <laughs> Switching the question. Uh, it's honestly as a coach. So Leomo, in my experience, is a um, uh, in real time uh, angle and uh, movement detection um, system that uh, was originally brought to me. Um, to see if I wanted to test it when it was first starting to release um, within uh, time trialing and being able to um, see how much movement and how effective you are within your position um, and how that evolves. Um, And, you know, honestly, as in my fairly minimal experience with myself and other, my other athletes, it's a, uh, it's a very, it can be a useful uh, tool um, within being able to track those angles but at the same time, it's it's also one of those things that you kind of need to be the right individual 
um, to be able to execute a, a protocol to change and to but have a narrow use kind of yeah yeah that's what I've noticed um, yeah. or at least that's my experience I have a few athletes that it has been successful with um, but they are uh, more of the narrow um, type yeah for sure um, yeah and, and the reason I, I kind of turn it on you is because um, it's it's interesting to see like where these technologies come from and mm -hmm. and where their application uh, mm -hmm. grows a following. Mm -hmm. or, or where it doesn't resonate. And I think all technologies have got to make that jump on their own. And like talking about them doesn't kind of make them either highly successful or, 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 or not, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, well, I suppose where I'm coming with this is all technologies, um, you have to factor in elements of A, what do you do with the data? And how is, like, how is it actionable? Mm -hmm. You know, so like that's, that's a key hurdle or it's a but, or it's a whatever way you want to kind of phrase it. But that's a key that all these technologies have to overcome. And um, and so that goes across the board. And I'm not picking on Leoma. I'm just saying, like, you can apply that to any brand you measure, you, you mention in this conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are you capturing and how is it actionable? And the next thing is, is it repeatable? Like, have you got that consistency where you can go from session to session? Does placement of the... The, the, the sensors have any any impact and how how kind of refined is it is it more uh, is it more uh, oh we'll make a big change and we'll observe the, the data change in turn or can it tell you um you know that this rider should ride 11 and a half centimeters a drop to the arm pad you know not like 20 is too much and 10 is too little like how, how do you find out like what's absolutely right mm -hmm. and, and the short answer is there is no one technology out there that can do that because we don't know what it is and it'd be on the tip of our tongue so i think what your listeners and your um like listeners and, and fitters and coaches are all chasing is an edge we're looking for just a competitive edge that either does a couple of things make our riders better make our jobs easier or or make things kind of faster easier to process and so on or remote does it bring an element of you know extreme remote like capabilities that allows us to look at it in a different lens so um i'm not skirp, skirping around just talking about <laughs> the homo, but i'm going to throw them all in on, into the same pot mm -hmm. and say if it doesn't answer those kind of key elements then it's going to have a narrow use case you know and if i keep poking at you on on what you've seen been done with it you'll probably talk about a time trial position about movement at the sacrum and about trying to blend aerodynamics with with uh with power Mm -hmm. and then just try to observe rider movement that we haven't been able to look at in the past and 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 uh if i'm onto something there or if that's kind of your experience then mm -hmm. that's probably one percent of my audience mm -hmm. so um again like i've worked so here's the full disclosure i've been paid by leoma since 2016 until current date we'll say mm -hmm. to do different work and testing and 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 kind of development of the product and um and it's been you know it's been great it's been a great learning curve but if we're, we're still at a point to where like has it has it appealed to mass market are riders finding breakthroughs and and leomo are engaging everything from pro riders to pro physiologists to pro bike first this and that to try and find value mm -hmm. and i'm not speaking out of out of rank i hope and if i am fuck it but you know that's that's what they're trying to do and and 
and hats off to them for trying yeah. to take on something. It's an IMU sensor that me- measures angular velocity and, and looks at gyroscopic data that has never been looked at before on the road. It doesn't give you your, stand, your standard industry values like joint angles and things like that. But mm-hmm. who says that they're the only important values? Like is EMG testing where you look at muscle activity, is that more valuable than joint angles? Some would argue it is because you're more interested in the type of power that the muscle can generate as opposed to just the orientation of the the limbs or of the the levers Mm -hmm. so there's nice valuable questions in there but you're not going to get any walk away you know uh, once catch all answer from me on technology you know yeah just it doesn't exist so um not to sound like leomo got a bash in there now or anything but they all have to pass that type of evaluation where Leomo gets a big nod is it's very affordable by by comparison if you can go in at seven or eight hundred dollars and get something that can track five data points on the rider and can capture like a high amount of data um, per second then like you've got to say that that's interesting Mm -hmm. and that's why it gets all the early adopters look at the people that are tweeting or if Twitter still exists or Instagramming about um about Leomo, they tend to be the early adopters, don't they? The coaches that are looking for the age, the, the sports science guys that are looking to explore it, but none of them are writing papers on, on how they've cracked it and there hasn't been any validation papers that it, it, it inherently changes how people are riding, riding bikes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, then applied to, you were going to ask about, you know, JBOmized and pressure mapping and you might ask about, you know, moxie monitors and you can ask about lots of other other things that um fitters will will use and coaches will use and and each to their own they all have certain levels of of use and offer certain data that can give an insight for for a we'll say a professional to then try and make a more informed decision mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's similar if you have a tool you know, you have to you know how to use it, and just because you have it doesn't mean that it's going to provide you with anything. And um, you know, within the sport world, we're all looking for this be-all end-all answer to everything, and that's um, it's just not really there. Um, but just... I would say one way to think about it is data capture is like miles ahead of where data application is mm-hmm. yeah you know totally I mean? agree so like look at stride running device or look at you know other things like that capturing data trying to convert it to a metric that we can all understand that then coaches can then action upon that's like what all of these data companies and and kind of measuring devices are chasing data that can be actionable mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of them out there and they're gathering data but if you buy any device to observe a change that you have to come up with what that change is it doesn't tell you kind of what to do or it doesn't inform you on what to do then it's just an observation tool in ways Mm -hmm. yes you can measure the change and i know some people that are trying to incorporate leomo into like really use user-friendly ways are looking at percentage changes so they might say like your dead spot score is you know x and we're going to call that your baseline and we're going to make these trials where we lower the saddle and we raise the saddle and if your data changes more than 20 percent we're going to call that a red flag now we're going to work within that range that like it didn't change within 20 percent and we're going to call that kind of your sweet spot now 
there's a couple of leaps of faith in that in that approach you know yeah and that's why and the time it takes like you're out there and you're managing x amount of athletes what if i say okay here you go i say i'm giving you 10 units put them on 10 riders <laughs> and and do a deep dive on it there for the next month and and report back yep <laughs> Your first major headache is going to be time. You just don't have the time to 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 learn and to try and self-learn, um, because unless I'm mistaken, Leon are 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 sharing a lot of like kind of case applications. I've done it myself. We've absorbed riders where we've changed positions based on CDA value that we might trust, or we might base it on the clock, or we might base it on um, a physiological aspect like um like uh, calorie consumption mm -hmm. so we'll do that and we'll gather what's happening with the leomo in kind of parallel with it but leomo hasn't released any information to say um here is our you know here is how you exactly use it and this will give you this this will tell you how to set your satellite you know so interesting interesting kind of stuff within these tools that you have available to you um when do you turn to them then yeah. Oh well, look now. Now we'll shine the light back on on Leoma for a second, just in okay. So I have a high-performing time trial rider who who is working through an SI joint issue, and we're working with their PT, and the right side is is knotty, and, and there's some hip flexion stuff that needs to be managed. Mm -hmm. As we um, are kind of looking at this historical data of this rider satellite in relation to the arm pad um, position because obviously rear posterior chain flexion and that tension impacts greatly on on how much the hip can absorb and how much stress that the SI joint is under and uh, so we're working through uh, what I would say is a kind of a scripted plan of satellites to kind of find a happy medium of being able to clear the top of the pedal stroke but also retain kind of we'll say good aerodynamics that's simplified but we'll just say it for now uh, retain good aerodynamics good knee extension clear the top of the pedal stroke and and do it all while the rider is receiving treatment and trying to build it back into training so that's that's pretty complex right then i've got the rider who who is getting in their own head and they're like you know like i, I feel like i'm moving a lot more at this satellite you know, now let's just say that um, you've always got this kind of important fit trinity of like rider feedback of the fitter's experience and of the data that, that is available. Hmm. And you're, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get the three arrows kind of going, going in the same direction, aren't you? Because you, you think that that would be the best outcome. So the rider now is going against you on this one a little. And, and how do you manage it? Because you have to listen to the rider. So I bust out the Leomo and I say, right, let's put a sensor on the sacrum. It mangle, measures angular velocity and it measures rotational values. Pop it on. I look at one sensor. I take a four minute lap at 320 watts and uh, we look at the movement. And, and the movement is like a very, very small number. I can't refer to my Leomo cheat sheet chart because there is no chart. So all I can say is I've got quite a decent level of experience in that. This rider was, was shown about two and a half degrees of rotation, which is very minimal. You're talking to someone like 95 RPM, 320 watts, 800 saddle height. Like this, is a, this is a rider who's getting after it. And you're talking about like this is what what in plain man's language you would call like a super stable pelvis and i show him these numbers and automatically he's like oh, okay good <laughs> also in in that little exercise put two retool dots even though retool doesn't even have sensors to the sacrum put two retool dots on his psis joints and bust out the iphone and took a video from behind and i put a, a dot on, his, on the center of his saddle 
which denoted kind of midline of the bike and it was easier to see against the black shorts. Mm -hmm. And automatically you have this like vertical movement of the two PSIS joints in relation to the, the dot on the middle of the sensor. And, and then I had the, the Leomo data to back it up. So I had an $800 tool that, that really put his mind at ease. And I had a 75 cents worth of retool dots that also helped. So mm -hmm. like, which which was the which was the one that got it across the line and, and put that athlete's mind at ease. Now this isn't smoke and mirrors that I was trying to convince the athlete of anything. I just I just needed to show them. Yeah. Because they they didn't feel it and they didn't have that sense of feel. And and here we go with the with, with some of the athletes that don't have a sense of great biofeedback, they can get injured because they don't have early red flag signs. So um so that's a kind of an interesting one happened mm. in the studio and and actually that writer was texting me today, although that was nine months ago when we were managing that. But I guess if they're still texting me, that's a good sign. Yeah. But um, and the writer had a, an excellent this was a high performing Kona um triathlete and went top ten and a kind of a career best for them on the big nice. island. So it was kind of you know, it's 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 like I love this this job and I love the responsibility that it gives and I love the challenge of using technologies um however basic or advanced um you know they may be as long as they get the job done and they improve my riders outcomes it'll be in the studio so we almost in the studio as as is a lot of other technology but we started this conversation about technology when i when i turned the wolf on you in relation to how narrow or how wide is the application yeah because we're not serving your listeners much good if we're spending 40 minutes talking about something that's worth like that will apply to one in a hundred riders <laughs> no i think it's it's a good um perspective into what the, the use of these devices are rather than it just being yeah as you mentioned a little bit of smoke and mirrors um so you know i i appreciate the wolves let's put it that way um yeah without spending you know, going on forever because we can easily do that. The um, the other one that I wanted to invite you directly for this time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, you're uh, the businessman. The businessman. <laughs> uh, um, all right. So the the other one that I let's all right. I'll pick one other. Um, actually, I'll let you pick. So if you pick one other technol technological device within your studio, um, other than the ones that we've already spoken about. Uh, what is your, I guess, go-to and why? And yeah, let's let's do that. Okay, a little like Amazon Prime here now. Sure. <laughs> let's, let's post out the filters here, okay? Okay. All I need to filter out is 15 years of industry bias. Okay. <laughs> and current relationships with both technology companies yeah, and true. companies. Okay. And then uh, what else do we need to filter out before I answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> it's you no know, it's it's a fair way to like to start it it's like yeah look there's different impacts because we do we do run a business um we we have you know influences in in our decisions of the equipment that we have in the studio um, but thankfully i'm able to say that nothing is in there because you know we don't believe in it or we haven't found some level of value in it mm -hmm. so i'm going to give the nod to the retool software and to the marker system for the one that's most used mm -hmm. um, because that's exactly as it is not purely to where my origins of of you know my my my, my bike fitting have has come from and, and where i spent a large 
period of my career uh, working for them it's it's not based on that um, because I'm just like Joe on the street with retail they're owned by specialized and you know who makes the decisions there so I'm just Joe Schmo when it comes to um, talking about retool so I'm totally unbiased in, in that regard and uh, it does an excellent job and, and no other competitors have actually filled its kind of brand agnostic void um, there's a brand and I'm I'm looking for it I think it's I think it's a fit for bike or something it's a mm. Spanish brand mm-hmm. um, that has a very similar system but their markers are passive and it creates a lot of hassle in relation to gathering data without reflective aspects uh, alloy cranks shiny surfaces things like that mm. i think if fit for bike develops a harness which has a battery pack which means then the markers become active as opposed to passive then mm. i think like that could be that could be the kind of the, the next one to come through that could be highly affordable and isn't isn't tied into some sort of like elaborate licensing and and and, and kind of makes makes having the equipment in your in your space kind of um you know impossible so that's kind of one to keep out for um but retail is the one that we use the most and and i am very interested as as we've discussed as as to all new emerging technologies and i'm particularly interested to look at the availability of emg sensors and, and looking at at kind of muscle recruitment and what's going on because we like we all have to effectively use our glutes and quads and and, and hamstrings and, and and we're going down to lower limb muscles now because as as i just described them they contribute um lower and lower amounts of power to the overall pedal stroke so i would say we have a blind spot we using biomechanical data because we don't know um if we're getting better muscle recruitment at a given position and i'm probably most excited about that so currently there's a system called delsus that takes a little bit of time and there's a little bit of what i would call post-processing that you'd have to go through and then again you've got to factor in that time and then there is no application in relation to bike fit so what do you have to do you have to go and learn it all by experimentation and by implementation and that's that's a labor of love right now if you're going to buy buy into something like that um because delsus has as cycling is such a narrow audience that like why are not the big players not in there like because it's just too small they won't sell enough systems so like delsus doesn't have to come up with a cycling protocol because even if it crushed it it's going to sell like four thousand units globally you know, whereas they can go into every rehab center and they can go into every medical center and they can sell easily into those areas. So it's kind of one restriction to some of the equipment that comes into cycling is, is it's um, the big players don't kind of get involved. But to use Delsus as an example, that would be one that I would probably look to. Um, and, and currently it's 20 grand and as things go, it'll be half that in five years and we'll know what to do with it. Yeah. So that's kind of exciting, but... Yeah, retool for now, and then the other emerging kind of technologies are um, we have a, um, a Weva pressure mapping, which is similar to GBOmized out of Germany. Weva is Italian; it's a third of the price and does the same job. And we have uh, Leomo in there, and obviously I've already stated to your audience we got well paid over our time <laughs> in consulting with them, but it's in there, and we and we use it. And um, we have Pinoy, which is a breath analyzer and we look at, at metabolic aspects um, we're not the physiologists that are going to you know set your zones and we're not going to do as good a job as CEO sports medicine but we used it we use it in a couple of very narrow um, aspects 
use cases with high performing athletes where we'll take the Pinoy system to um, uh, both the wind tunnel and the track and we look at aerodynamics against uptake and and then try and make those decisions and that's super exciting because what we're doing is we're looking at you know physiologically what's going on with riding a given position and what the aerodynamic gain is compared to the uh, you know the impact it has on on the physiological side because it's not always that more aggressive positions are uh, less or are more of a demand on the rider it's 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 very individual so we've been involved in some of those collaborations and it can start with a simple text to a coach but in that one we had um we had a bike brand, we had a sports scientist, we had ourselves and we had um, an aerodynamicist, we had the coach and we had the manager and the rider. And it was like two days of work and it was tens of thousands of dollars. But it, was it was really good. And so we, we are looking at Pinoy in relation to being able to use it to um, to kind of help athletes with suitable positions and and. and and that needs time, like that labour love I talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we aren't going to hand it to me. Uh, uh, Apostolus, who's the CEO, who's based out in LA, he wants us to work on coming up with, um, you know, protocols. And I'm happy to do it. And when he busts out the, the checkbook, he'll get some work. Um, but until then, am I going to pave the way and, and, and create protocols for them on, on, on our own time? Uh, right now, I can't kind of do that. So that's a call to action for Apostolus if he listens to this. Um, that uh, we're happy to do it, but uh, we have to we have to kind of like look at that time the same as every opportunity that comes along. Um, and 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 what you'll find is we are a small outfit that you know we pay our bills, we work largely with athletes on providing services, and I can't allocate like a bunch of time to learning. Um, you know, new new protocols are creating new protocols unless. Unless I suppose we're, we're covering that time. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so the technology sneak in and sneak out of IOG all the time. Yeah, I mean that's totally fair. I mean I think the Pinoy is really interesting within the fact that um, you know breathing protocols were a pretty that's a big thing within the top top tier yeah. of guys that are really pushing their CDA and that that's a one of those tools that's able to kind of like show the effectiveness either of that or not of that. So yeah, that's... I think it helps with fueling strategies and I think it helps yeah. with changes and, uh, and yeah. like how big, uh, how gross changes uh, the athlete can absorb. And, um, and I think that in a, you know, like I, I said, like how many, how many bike fitters are there acting independently and how do they not alone survive, but how do they excel? And is it by adding on certain services and what services pair very well with bike fitting that that isn't outside of, you know, your scope of not alone conduct, but your scope of professionalism to where you can really do an excellent job. Mm-hmm. If you go into like, you know, Jared or Ryan Kohler inside and see you sports medicine, this is what they do. They test yeah. athletes seven days a week or, you know what I mean? Whereas like, oh, I can knock through it. I can, I can like mimic their protocol and I can have a good old stab at interpreting what it is that we'd set zones for those athletes and so on. But like, that's not my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So I'm quick to understand that. And uh, I don't want to cross that line to where you try to be like this catch-all service center. Um, you know, what might happen is maybe Ryan decides, yeah, I'm not going to work for CEO and I'll, I'll, I'll come out and I'll, I'll do my thing and I'll do it in conjunction with something else. And you get these little like kind of centers start 
kind of bubbling up where you have like you know a, a bike fitter a, a top service course which would be to you and i like a top mechanic and uh you know and a good sports science guy and uh, and they can get anything that you need in relation to sports performance because we have access with direct to consumer and we've access to this and that and uh, maybe that these little nucleuses is what will emerge over the next decade as the current cycling industry kind of fragments you know as retail as retail i should say um changes the face of kind of the local bike shop and stuff you know mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out so yeah we're quick not to like pretend that we 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 are the guys to come to for physiology testing you know mm-hmm. do you uh, just like pairing with some coaches sometimes do you use um that side of the sports science world as well no because i think it's insightful you know i suppose we're a small part of that but mm-hmm. what we want to do is ultimately our responsibility is we want to improve the rider's position when it comes to high performance either from an efficiency standpoint or a speed standpoint mm-hmm got to be measured in maybe one or the other you know and and um i'll just go back to this labor of love the pinoy system um like i shelled out for that pinoy system to work with one particular athlete that was a high value athlete to us and i really wanted to up my game on what i thought we could do in relation to fit decisions and i thought that these fit decisions are of such a serious nature that i really want to be as informed as as possible so i took the onus on ourselves to do that and i can tell you i haven't earned back the price of that pinoy because we haven't had enough um kind of use cases to apply it to but for me that was just you know that was just the motivation that i had that i was seriously invested in this athlete and uh, and likewise um you know that that kind of goes a long way so i just want to kind of mention that from the standpoint that there are times you as a coach and other people that work with athletes it's not just the money is it like you really want to see plans come together and you really want to be part of something incredible and um, and if we're lucky enough to get those opportunities and they're pretty rare as you know to work with athletes like that uh, i was going to do anything that i could in that regard to try and uh, improve my decision making so yeah it worked out well and and, and honestly, it opened up the door to Pinoy and, and we're in good conversation with them. So who knows where that will go. But I had to bite the bullet at the start. Um, yeah. because I really thought it would give us some insight. And, and it did prove to be very, very valuable in that regard. It's a it's definitely a labor of love. I mean, the when you get into the super fine detailing um, work, kind of what we've discussed in this call, it's it, you're never really going to get the full cost of that service just because you're diving so into it. So you have to just love that data. You have to love to embrace it. Yeah. And that's, that's like, you know, people are always looking for, you know, people that are going to help them. And, 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 you know, I suppose, um, that's the same with coaching as it is bike fitting Mm -hmm. and reputation is everything and your Mm -hmm. willingness to like go the extra yard. If there's like, you can put all that shit on a website and sound great. But mm-hmm. do you do it? You know, and that's that's kind of where we we hold ourselves very accountable on that. You know. All right, Ivan. Um, this has been great. I don't want my bill to get too high from you, so. Um, to the second hour now, you may as well keep going. It's <laughs> a good I'm point. Gonna... Well, you don't charge in half hours. Your, your listeners are uh, have enough of this tripe at this stage now. They want to crack on with the next subject. <laughs> right. All right, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I had fun, so thank you. Thank you again. Yeah, no 
always a pleasure and and i suppose i would uh i'd encourage your listeners just to ask very open questions and 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 really like really challenge their the people that they work with uh to give them good information and good answers and that'll be that'll be a way for them to kind of understand if they're on the right path or not and uh, look they can here comes the shameless plug check out ivanocorman.com <laughs> and you'll be able to see some of what we do and for those of you who have been customers in the past we really appreciate it and those of you that are interested in checking us out we're, we're here we're here when you need us awesome uh, uh, thanks man okay man all the best isaiah keep up the good work thanks bud see ya thanks everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed my conversation with ivan i always encourage my athletes to find a quality bike fitter that can make a huge difference on what they're able to achieve as an athlete. Uh, check Ivan out online if you're looking for a fit. With COVID-19, Ivan started doing online consultations and is good research now worldwide. If you haven't already, please leave us a review and rating. I have some good guests lined up that I'm actually pretty darn excited to show you guys, but till then, take care and keep finding your edge. <laughs>